If you know me at all, you know that debt is my bread mm -hmm. and danger my butter. Oh, no, danger is my bread and death is my butter. No, no, wait. Danger is my bread. Death, no, death. No, I'm sorry. Death is my... Death and danger are my various breads and, and various butters. Mm -hmm. WJRH's various kinds of butters. You, you've, One got of good, us sick. you've got a good radio voice for when you're sick. Yes. Better radio voice, maybe. Um, so we've heard back from our listeners. We've heard back from our fans. And I, I would say this is by the boatload because we can just just be, the, About between trash. us, we can count at least three people who have responded to us. Four. Four people. So we, we, had, we had a discussion a couple episodes back about garbage men versus garbage people and the gendered expression of, of that job. And the fact that garbage people, as a non-gendered expression, is not the 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 nicest thing. That sounds like more like an insult. Well, the uh, the solution is trash collector. Apparently, the term is already out there. Everybody knew it except me and Ben. And our trash guests. collector and the interns. Oh yeah, that's true. Everybody on the VVV staff failed us. Yes, yes. Even but, our fact checker. Yeah, but we'd like to uh, say hello to all the trash collectors out there listening. Um, you are not garbage people, not to me. That's for sure. And uh, we'd like to welcome you to our listening community. If you're just tuning in, this is Various Breads and Butters on WJRH 104.9 Lafayette College. The um, voice of the marquee. If I asked you just on the spur of the moment, would yeah. you be able to think of any of the load-bearing jokes? Because I think off-air we've talked about how anytime somebody makes a load-bearing joke... I, which is usually me. Um, it always works. Like, I've never seen that be unsuccessful. Like, so, careful, that's a load-bearing poster. Careful, that's a load-bearing... Yeah. I, 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 the, the way twig. it usually works for me is... Is this load bearing? And sometimes it's funny if it's clearly load bearing, <laughs> and sometimes it's funny if it's not. Like so, if it's a pillar. Yeah, if it's a, if it's a pillar, it's a column in if front it's of the building. if it's the only column in a room, right? I'm like in a very large room. I'm like, is this load bearing? Um, I like we uh, on or a parks, yeah. on, they did it well on a Parks and Rec app with hmm. uh, Tom was looking for restaurant space and they visited Jurassic Fork. Oh yeah yeah yeah. He's like, we just get rid of this uh, T Rex. He's like, oh, that's a load bearing T Rex. <laughs> mm, very well done. I thought it was very well done. None of this is going to matter for us today because we don't have that lowbrow discussion no, topic. No, not today. We've got to we've got to raise our brows um, on this day. This is episode ninety of Various Breads and Butters. To my left, as always, is Ben Brickhouse Cohen. I'm Simon Portmantonev. Um, out in the studio, we have our producer um, Thomas, nickname Williams, and our fact check intern Ian Code Morse. Now, today we have a very special guest in studio. This is that's the exact reason why I didn't want you to use that honorific for every single guest because yeah. when you actually mean it mm -hmm. people won't differentiate you know what so I, this time he actually means it i don't want anybody to feel bad you know that what was, i mean this is true that's the exact yeah. i hear the drum roll already yeah <laughs> all the way from washington dc from the director's office in the folger shakespeare library we have the director of the folger shakespeare library Michael Whitmore. Michael, how are you doing? I'm really good. You must be thrilled to be here. I am thrilled to be here. Uh, <laughs> Thank I've been you here. for coming by. It's, I know we're going to talk about small town college life, and mm -hmm. so there's no small town in Washington. Yeah, well, I mean... I hear a lawnmower outside the I studio. Which yeah, it's one of the local perks. It is. I wouldn't pitch this as it's an unusual to have such a distinguished guest because we're not used to having people who are just way out of our league intellectually, because mm -hmm. that, that's not true. That happens. That's almost every that's single time. That's pretty much the bar of the show. Mm -hmm. But in this case, the reason we are out of our depths intellectually is because uh, there's quite the uh, market difference in, in Shakespearean familiarity, knowledge. I was I was bragging earlier mm -hmm. that I'm a Shakespeare gleaner. 
which means almost everything I know about Shakespeare is just from gleaning it from cultural references. Very, very like limited. Like most people. I would very say limited people. actual access to yeah. it. Yeah. And um, I would think that's probably a good place for us to start, which is the, uh, I guess the setup is, what is wrong with me? What the what's wrong with me question. I never read Shakespeare. I wasn't really exposed to it effectively as a child. Huh? I didn't come to it. I'm certainly aware of it. I've just bragged about how much. Yeah. I told Simon, there's both a Henry the Fourth. And Henry V. You are really on your way. Richard III, but there isn't Richard II. Yes, there is. Oh, yeah. I told you, Simon. What? No. He but, was arguing but, with but me. But you know, just opened the door for you. You could check out Richard II. No, but is there a Richard I? <laughs> now, was... <laughs> there was. Richard II is the Lionhearted. Yeah. Yeah. Now, right? was Shakespeare the first one to write sequels? That's a, just a Shakespeare joke. Are you cracking yourself up? I do. Well, I'm he very... really loved... He, he wrote fun. Mary Wives of Windsor, which was a nice follow-up. Oh, so that is that is actually which a gives you Falstaff again. Oh, does he want Falstaff? Oh, that w- he was yeah. a jester in Hamlet. Am I right? <laughs> no, no. I love this show. Okay, I love this well, show. We try. So most Americans are gleaners. Mm-hmm. That's fine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, how many people really know what Shakespeare meant? That vanishingly small proportion of the population, because it's, it's, it takes a long time to figure out what the words mean. I would that's think true. so. And that's why yeah. we need people to actually study it in libraries to keep that information. Correct. Well, so you're, you're, There are a lot of words there. Does, <laughs> does it make me feel better that I'm not alone, that my experience of just not really getting it or reading it or being into it as a child, not yeah. being exposed to it properly, is a very common thing? Yeah, it's a very common thing. So 95% of American school kids will encounter Shakespeare at least once before they're 18, mm-hmm. probably twice. And of that 95%, is 94% of it Romeo and Juliet? Oh, there's a big proportion of... It's either Romeo and Juliet or Julius Caesar. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And you know, for so a lot of kids are actually also performing the plays. So it's, predator, it's better if you're younger if you perform the plays mm-hmm. because that's how you're going to get to... You, know, you may not understand the words, but if you guys... I mean, you guys do this already. You look at each other, you're talking, you figure out what's next. Mm-hmm. So if you're next to your peer students and you're reading like a... a big love passage from Romeo and Juliet. Mm-hmm. You may not know what the words mean, but because you're across from that person, you look at their face and maybe you get some of the words. That's good. Just open the door once yeah. and then the next time won't be won't be uh you won't like reject it. Sure. That's the... And I I found that while I was reading the passages, it didn't have as much of, of an effect on me when I saw someone performing the passages. And I know you're hmm. a big fan of theater, a big fan of Shakespeare. I, that feels to me like if he's I'm, in charge of the library, uh, yeah. But still, so I assume he's a big fan. Also a big fan. So, but like that, you would have to at least you you would gain context this from how a person really quickly. says. To, <laughs> wait, what does? He thinks your know. question's too long. Oh, I'm sorry. I mean, let me wait. He's, Shakespeare, he's, he's, Shakespeare, good. Yes, he'll be editing it, so it's so I, I can I can take as long as I want. <laughs> but I always found that it was easier when it was performed. I could understand new yeah. better nuance of it and yeah. things. So so I just think that if if you're just exposed through reading it, that might inhibit your uh, enjoyment of it, and especially in like a high school class type of thing. It was created as a storytelling form that mm-hmm. is interactive. It yeah. was theater. So you're you're there with someone else. The great thing about theater is you're kind of in the line of fire of another human being. Mm-hmm. And the kind of truth telling you can do in that situation yep. is unique. And you can have it happen even with just two or three people in a classroom. Mm-hmm. So, you know, in addition to learning great language and maybe doing more than gleaning, mm-hmm. although starting gleaning is fine. Glean is a good start. Um, you might get some experience with truth telling and being in the presence of someone else's 
you know, stand and deliver moment that happens in drama. And that's what drama is, is do you, delivering. Do you think it's better if students get exposed to it early on through theater or English? Theater, I, theater. All right. I, I would, would you I would dissuade the, the English line? I think my, we probably did read Julius Caesar in English class. Mm-hmm. Well, I, no, I, I think the theater part happens in the classroom. Okay. I, so you want to make the classroom into a mini theater All right. and have the students scripting, reading script, maybe getting some of the words. Mm-hmm. Then you sit down after you've done it mm-hmm. and say, well, why was I saying that thing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? Were you into it as a kid? Was I into Did it? Did you as just kid? grab it? Were you a theater kid? No, I wasn't. I was we've had this two day conference here mm-hmm. and it's been about Shakespeare and race. And um the first play that I read that really uh spoke to me was Othello. Mm-hmm. Before that I'd read Romeo and Juliet and Julius Caesar and I wasn't that interested in them. Um You're but talking I, grade school? Yeah, junior high, I would say. But my situation was unique because I grew up as an evangelical Protestant, and so we read the King James Bible and tried to memorize the words, and so I had had a really deep dive into Renaissance or early modern English, and I knew what that sounded like. But it took a great teacher and a great play, which spoke to me personally, to make me feel like, okay, this is actually really, really interesting. And what I took from Othello, and the reason why I think it's a great play, it's a, it's a complicated play, really difficult to perform, but as it spoke to me as a high school student, it's a play about what, what do you do when you meet the person who can tell you the lies that you cannot resist? Mm-hmm. Because you will meet your Iago someday. It'll either be a voice in your own head or, you know, and if you're an adolescent, you're, you, the voice just started up, mm-hmm. you know? Oh, yeah, that's right. So I, I think it's a good play. Uh, it's also mm-hmm. about being an insider or an outsider. And, you know, where given where I came from, I thought about that a lot. Um, so you, you did you grasp that insider-outsider even then? Oh, yeah. From the play? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I mean, part of being an outsider is wanting to be on the inside, but um, also always looking at things doubly like mm-hmm. what like okay what's the game that people are playing here cuz this is not the game i always play right. and then nobody knows the game that i play because i come from a world where we believe different things mm-hmm. you know just totally different assumptions and i so i think that's probably also true of othello who's an outsider he's he's got great privilege in venetian society but there's always that opening for someone like iago to say well here's the thing that you missed yeah um and that's the opening. So for a couple guys like us who mm. who are masters of almost everything, pretty yeah. there's just this one. So do you guys feel thing. you know comfortable? We're talking about Shakespeare, even though it's really just a big glean for you. Um, is this your bread and butter? So the, the, uh, it's one of them. This is sure, sure. It's yeah. one of our. I mean, yeah. I mean, everybody that comes in here um, butters our bread. Wait, that didn't sound good no. either. No, no, don't say mm-hmm. that. I'm going to say that. Um, <laughs> But like, uh, but so, so if you were, t- if you were talking to us and you were, mm-hmm. you were going to recommend, okay, you want to get back into Shakespeare. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean. The, How old are you? That's an qu- important question. Both about 40. Yeah. We'll, okay. we'll call it early oh, 40s. You're, you're really honest. Okay. Yeah. In your 40s. Yeah. What is not unusual is every guest we have has an area of specialty, which is outside ours. Yeah. And mm-hmm. so we're always either uh, struggling or masterfully tricking people into thinking that we have some tenuous connection that you mm-hmm. can drag out. So you find like the one thing mm-hmm. that they know. Mm-hmm. And in, in the Shakespeare case, it's just a very wide and very thin yes. set of references. Can you quote anything from Shakespeare? 
Oh yeah. Well, I mean, there's Hamlet's soliloquy, but that's I I I would have gotten that from Mel Brooks more than from Shakespeare, probably. Yeah, that's um, often how... whether tis nobler in the mind to suffer mm-hmm. the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune and mash together different soliloquies. That's from Star Trek: The Undiscovered Country. Yeah, yeah. So, so you know that uh, Star Trek quoted uh-huh. Milton more than Shakespeare. Oh, really? There's a funny preference for okay. Milton. Especially Wrath of Khan. Khan is quoting Milton left and right. I didn't realize that he was doing that. Do you? uh, Can you just rattle off extended sections of? So no, I I don't do that. Um, I'm not good at that. I mean, I know to be or not to be. That is the question. Mm -hmm. But uh, no, I I don't. That's not how I get into it. I I like the music, but um, it's funny. I'm a musician, Mm -hmm. and so when I listen to the music, I never listen to the words. Mm, That's interesting. I never listen to the words, I, yeah. but I'm, I'm, I'm a drummer, so I'm listening to kind of how how's it put together, how does it See, flow. See, this is helping me. I, I'm also a drummer, and my uh, wife is also, for, for our whole life, been confused why I don't know the words to, to songs. Yeah, they don't matter. Well, so eventually you pay attention to the words. <laughs> yeah. But that actually happens to me in Shakespeare, too. I get into the play, and I start to hear it as music, and I don't... I look at the situation and know what's going on. Mm-hmm. And then every three or four words, I'll hear a keyword and I'll, oh, oh. But when I read it, that's when kind of reading it like it's growing up reading scripture, like pay attention to every word. Yeah. What does it mean? Where does it come from? What are the references? What are the resonances? Mm-hmm. So it's different for me. Yeah. You were going down the road for a question that yeah, took you so off. Which are the plays... That, that you would recommend for people mm. trying to get back into Shakespeare? Like, what are those opening parts that, that a couple of guys, 40 years old, want to get back yeah. into? We've seen would we Hamlet 2. Big fans yeah. of Steve Coogan. Yeah. Hamlet 2, is yeah. that what you said? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I haven't seen Hamlet 2. So I will give you my personal list, but, but I've been reading the plays for a long time. Okay. Uh, but I would say that the best built play, the play that works like clockwork, is Twelfth Night. Oh, Great I, play. I believe I read that one. Great play. Yeah. Also, it's a play about improvisation. What makes Viola a really, really great character mm-hmm. is that she knows how to find the right moment and then act. Mm-hmm. And I think Shakespeare believed in that. And we live in a world where improvisation is mandatory, mm-hmm. as your show this is exhibits. All scripted. This Everything. is completely you know, scripted. I've got it. I've got it. I, I'm, you, I am... you are the jazz musicians. Of, no, I know. <laughs> this is like uh, 12-tone music. You're getting going everywhere, but Pretty it's much. all like in a row. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. I get that. He yeah. gets it. Yeah. Good. Finally, someone. Uh, I think Twelfth Night is maybe the one that I know the least about. I don't know if oh. I can make a single reference to it. Oh. I think I probably I, I probably studied that. I, I, I did study it, and I probably remember the most from it, but that's not saying much given what I don't remember. But you'd say it's the best built one. Yeah. I think the pieces go together perfectly. Um, there are some famous speeches like the Patience on, a, on the Monument speech. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the part that's really great is the ending. I mean, all the pieces come together, mm-hmm. and it's a thing that Shakespeare loved to write about, which is a reunion of of separated families, twins who've been separated. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of mistaken identity that's happened. But the moment when they see each other and they just can't believe that they've found the person they thought they lost. Mm-hmm. you know, and, and Shakespeare's really interested in that. I think he knew that people can really, really want something and then never quite believe that it's about to happen mm-hmm. or come true. And that's a very interesting thing about how human beings handle their hopes and desires. They kind of defend themselves from them. And a lot of the plays that he wrote after Twelfth Night were about how people uh, kind of avoid the possibility that they might find the things that they really want was and it, love. Was it one of his earlier ones? 
Uh, so I would say Comedy of Errors, which was an early one, was also about families coming together and people are bumping into each other like billiard balls. Mm-hmm. They never sort it out because no one can believe that they've actually found their long lost twin that they've been looking for all their lives. You know, mm-hmm. the fastest hypothesis would be, oh, it's my twin who's making all this confusion. Yeah. But why can't you think of that? Because it's something you really hope for. Mm-hmm. And humans, for some reason, like to play hide and seek with their hopes. <laughs> they don't they want to be disappointed. Of course. Yeah. Shakespeare knew that. <laughs> he did. All right, so we got a we got a one out of the well, top three. And, and that, okay, I'll give you two more. Yeah, no, you need to. No, I, I was no, I was going to ask if um oh, was, was Twelfth Night if if music be the food of love play on is that yeah. the first? Okay, so I got that one too. Ding ding. How would you go with that? I don't know. It just came came to me. Mm. I didn't. I was not using a phone. Everybody if saw music that. Music be the food of love play on play on. Play on. I mean, I think that that's often quoted because that's like the first yeah. line of it. So yeah. people it's like will, now is the winner of our discontent. There you go. Yeah. Which one's that? Something King Lear. King Lear. Richard. Yeah. The third? Yep. Yes. Yes. There you go. Um, okay, so what's number two? Number two, uh, if you're 40 and up, I think it's King Lear. King Lear. King Lear is the mountain. Uh, that's that's the play about what happens when um, the gods don't talk back. Mm-hmm. The universe it just <laughs> does what it does. Uh-huh. And Shakespeare didn't give any of the... Um, outs and 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 fantasy endings that that he's really interested in later in his career Mm -hmm. so i think you know as you become an adult you one of the things you have to figure out is um how much you can depend upon uh, the rest of the world to confirm how you think things work Mm -hmm. here's a story about a guy who thinks he has it figured out uh he's wrong and it's going to take a lot to make him realize that he's wrong this really resonates yeah. I mean, except for the being wrong part. Yeah. The rest of it, yeah. 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 Oh, no, he's right all along. This Did, is the one with the three daughters. Correct. And he needs a horse? No. Is that one? Is no it, horses one are needed. Cordelia is one of the daughters? Cordelia. You guys are so good. No, well, I'm not. Who who needs a king? Who's got a kingdom That's for a Richard horse? Richard III. Oh, okay, but you're that, stuck on Richard III. But he was another king of some sort, right? He he that's did he did was, have that job. Yes, yeah, so um, that's why I was had it and mixed lost up. it like most Shakespearean sure. kings. Okay, so um, it's close. Uh, I read James Hard Miley's. Job to keep. Uh, yeah, oh, I think so. James yeah. Miley's A Thousand Acres mm-hmm. is what king inside Lear. baseball. Absolutely, yeah. Empire. Four. That's a King Lear. It on, but that's King Lear. Laser, <laughs> Laser Cats Four on SNL. <laughs> king Lear. It's a very deep dive. You want? You want to? Play that out? No. He was good. very excited to do the Laser Cats reference. Yeah. Come on, explain. I don't it. even know what that means. Yeah. It, is a, it, was, it was a digital short by Andy Samberg um, on, on SNL. And, uh, and so it's about cats in the future that are genetically modified to shoot lasers out of their mouths. And so they show it to Lauren Michael to see if they can get on the show. <laughs> and uh, then Steve Martin at the end says, did you get it with King Lear? And that's, a, oh, that's, that's just brilliant. a funny, good stuff. It's funnier to watch we're than both, me to explain. I think we're both learning things here today. I think we are. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I need to put that in my repertoire. I didn't know that. <laughs> let's let's um, round out the top three. So after you've done King Lear, you've been onto the top of the mountain, and there's no sunshine there. Mm-hmm. The third play I would recommend is The Winner's Tale, oh, which oh. is a play about someone who, again, it's kind of adult set of problems. He makes a big mistake. Uh-huh. He doesn't deserve to be forgiven. Mm-hmm. His family is scattered and in the end, um, the play is about the triumph of hope over experience. Ooh. What it says is, we bring a lot with us to the theater, and if we're adults, we also bring a sense of the world and the fact that the world doesn't oblige us. Mm-hmm. It, doesn't, it doesn't make things work out the way we want them to mm-hmm. work out. However, 
there are moments when we really, really wish it would work out. Mm -hmm. And I think that play kind of shows that one of the great things about the theater is that it shows that the that wish is possibly one of the most real things we can ever have or know. Mm -hmm. That's a very powerful thing. I, I correct my prior statement because a equivalent to Twelfth Night would be Winner's Tale for me. I have the least awareness of its, I definitely yeah, of its plot. Pretty That's hard. Pretty, pretty tough play. Now, before, tough. before we came in here, uh -huh. I was testing out what I thought. On this, I said this to like three people walking over. I was like, I think these are the big three. And each mm. time I said this to them, they kind of looked at me quizzically like, you don't know what you're talking about. But I thought from this cultural gleaning mm. that you got just the big three monumental Shakespeare's mm. were King Lear, Macbeth, and Hamlet. It seems like I've heard mm. more about them and had more references. Admittedly, a lot of it is from like interviews with actors and they're always like, hey, it's just, of course, I want to, everybody wants to just play, wants to play King Lear or mm. just want to get to be in Macbeth. Mm. So I just basing it on their references yeah. to what would be great to be in. And to be fair, the question was, how do we get back into it? Which might have a different answer than what are the top three plays of all time? Oh, yeah, yeah. 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 No, well, that wasn't a dispute to the okay. answer. That was a different question. Mm -hmm. But it's I'm just wondering, like, culturally, if I was having so, an argument yeah. at a dinner party mm -hmm. and I felt like I wanted to hold firm to this mm -hmm. and somebody was arguing against me... You should would... grab a hold of King Lear and say it's the best one. Because it's the one that people are going to struggle with. It's the play that where Shakespeare said something that people are going to have to contend with forever okay that's good well so so you definitely get the job at the Folger library because you clearly know a lot was about, this a test is this for this is a re-interview like, okay yeah your contract is coming up it's they asked us to do from some the stuff. first one uh, <laughs> <laughs> it is they wanted to sort of throw you a curveball they, they didn't have they didn't talk about laser cats when i interviewed for which job. which is pretty interesting because mm. it's sort of a canonical telling. yeah mm. telling of <laughs> king lair canonical yes yeah. Scene setting, if I was at a dinner party. Hmm. you Oh, so you're getting ammo for dinner parties. No. That's, so, that's what this is wants. about. So I'm, I'm okay with using deploying King Lear. If I want to make it appear as if I know what I'm talking about, oh, yeah. which would be like two or three inside references to use where they probably wouldn't press me on it so I wouldn't get caught. Okay. If you really want to make people sit back and, because they're not going to know... Um, you might say Cymbeline. Oh, my favorite play is Cymbeline. I love the late plays. That's what, Ooh, that's what you could say. Cymbeline. And Cymbeline is a rarely performed play about an ancient king of Britain. It has a wandering, meandering plot. It has marriage after marriage after marriage stacked up in the end. It's impossible that these things come together. <laughs> wow. But it's a great play. It's a deep uh, cut. No, but, yeah. but nobody really um, talks right. about it in... I mean, it's very rarely. I like about. that. That is actually one of the reasons I enjoy it so much is that there's just so much to get out of it. And it's just fun to, to bring up and to share with friends. It's working. That's what brought me to it. It's working. How was that? Amazing. I'm, I'm glad you shared that. So tell me about what the library does. Are you not going to do the line first? What? Your what best line? joke in the entire show. Okay. I, I have to ask this because Ben asked me to ask I this. It was top... A-plus material. Did they secretly replace the original library with yours, and did anyone notice? <laughs> uh, referring to Folger's Crystals Coffee, there was a whole commercial campaign about replacing Folger's Crystals with a... No one has done the you Folger guys, jokes with you? You guys, I don't, I don't ever hear the Folger joke. I, oh, I hear really? them... You're so, so inside the world, it doesn't even... People wouldn't even... Use that Right in time. the temple, yeah, we don't hear that joke. Okay. Uh, on my way into work, though, we have to pass the federal security barriers, mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. the Capitol Police ask for my ID. I showed them my ID and they say, oh, okay, Folgers. And so they think it's coffee. Yeah. Yeah. 
and or that our name is is named after, after. The, the coffee apost- was, the, apostrophe s. But it, the families are related. I assume I would assume are they are, but they're not related. quite. They're distant. Not quite. They're, they're right. distant. So the families are me- the family is mentioned in Moby Dick, oh. uh, in Nantucket. Oh, interesting. So now there's something we could talk about. It yeah. Also connected to King Lear. So the dinner party conversation is going to blow wide open. Mm-hmm. And then what you're going to do is you're going to talk about the fact that I also enjoy Hamlet in the original Klingon. Oh. Because the Folger has a Klingon translation and that of Hamlet. And that's a quote from Star Trek, The Undiscovered Country. It's Man. factually possible. This yeah. is a rich you could, tapestry. You could have been at the, oh, I was at the Folger just last month, and I was reading the original Klingon version of wow. Hamlet. That's going to get you a lot of friends. This is good stuff. This is good stuff. We did promise ourselves we would not allow more than 30 seconds on coffee references. So let's, we should put that aside. We're done. But I thought that was a great line. Thank you. I appreciate that, Ben. If you want to use that, I'll Mm. I'll also send you the the commercial that spawned that joke because there was a lot of crystals. Yeah, exactly. So, so you could be, I mean, you were at a, so we know, actually did want to ask about the Folger. Yeah. Lab. But you were at a university. You were at, you, was, you, you, you I taught at Wisconsin. Carnegie Mellon for oh, 10 years. Right, and then Mellon. I taught at the university of Wisconsin for three years. Yeah. Uh-huh. And now you're here, which is not a typical. And now I'm in setting. Lafayette. Yeah. Now you're in Lafayette. Yes. <laughs> what does the, the library offer you that the, the other more typical like schools oh. situation doesn't? Well, the library does many things at once. So mm-hmm. what I gave up was the excitement of teaching. Mm-hmm. I love teaching students, yeah. you know, sabbaticals yeah. and independent research and things like that. You were teaching, sh- teaching Shakespeare? I was, yeah. yeah. I, was, I was teaching big, some big lecture classes. It was, it was really, really fun. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was writing books and, and doing professor things. Mm-hmm. But uh, the thing about the Folger that's great is I feel that we're in a moment when people maybe don't realize how important the humanities are Mm-hmm. to our future. I've heard things. You know, you've heard rumors that heard. it's really important. Yep. And we have the greatest collection in the world for the most widely read writer mm-hmm. and perform writer. That's huge. Mm-hmm. And if you can't excite people about the humanities with that, it can't be done. And the fact that we're able to perform it on the first Elizabethan theater in North America, that we have an exhibition hall that looks like Hampton Court, the fact that we're in thousands of classrooms across the country, mm-hmm. you know, when you're when you're reading Romeo and Juliet for the first time, you can do it with us yeah. and it'll be great. But I think that that's really exciting to me. I mean, I would I certainly want to write another book or two or three, mm-hmm. but the impact that I can have um, there is really for posterity and for my colleagues in the profession. Mm-hmm. But there are a lot more people who need to appreciate all of this yeah. and can. Is the is the physical actual Folger Library building itself does it have does it have the appearance of kind of a yeah, it, Elizabethan? Yeah, it, it actually looks like a book. So it was designed to oh, cool. look like a page of a first folio. And the quotes and the same spelling from the folio <laughs> are on it. Wow. It's got sculptures of characters. It's a it's catty corner from the U.S. Supreme Court and next to the Library of Congress yeah. and then two wow. blocks away Adams from the U.S. Yeah, it's right next to the Adams Building. Well, I can imagine why that would be really tempting to leave what you enjoyed working in the sort of the normal university to be, have this opportunity to work at the Because folder. he can eat at We the Pizza any day he wants. I, I do have that op- ability. I can also be around a staggering collection of books and manuscripts from this really important period. But not after you eat the pizza, right? You have to like wash <laughs> your hands, right? Do they make you wear gloves? 
So we always wash our hands. Okay, good. No, That's we do. That's just good for we health. We do. We do. Yeah. It's a good for your health. Mm-hmm. But for a for a piece of paper or vellum manuscript, you mm-hmm. could put oils on it. And then over time, you right. know, we oh. want the books to last and manuscripts to last for another 400 years. Okay. So the way to do that is to handle them with clean hands. I just wouldn't let anybody in. That's my mm. thing. Is it that a is a conservation strategy. Yes. That, that, that is the strategy of serving only the people of the future. <laughs> yeah. If so, they ever hear about you again. People of the future are great. Is it actively used? Do you have a lot of fellowships or are there a lot of scholars? Yeah, so we're funding, we've been funding research with the collection for 50 years. Uh, fellows come in, we do symposia. Mm-hmm. We've got 30 something countries represented of scholars coming to wow. work with the collection. So yeah. it's pretty exciting. I once um, gave a tour. Uh, well, okay, it's going to sound like bragging, but it's I'm good with it. There's a there's an actual story here. Mm-hmm. So, uh, the chief justice came over for a show that we did, an exhibition about mm-hmm. the law, mm-hmm. and he came with his clerks and with his security. They were fascinated by the exhibition, and we talked a lot about that. And then the exhibition hall is right next to the reading room mm-hmm. where the scholars are. So they're sitting there with their books and they're reading the books. And I said. Mr. Chief Justice, would you like to see uh, the working reading room where people are working with these materials? And he said, yes, I would. So in the middle of the day, we open the doors and in walks this really large contingent of people. No one looked up. Oh, <laughs> they were right into their stories. It was one of the proudest moments I've had as director because it shows that people, you know, they're like doing a deep sea dive yeah. 400 years they're, they're, they're submerged, and that's their job, is to be able to immerse themselves in this other world. And every once in a while, you'll see them lift up their heads. It's like they're yeah. surfacing from that. But you get the bends if you come up too quick. Right. That's mm-hmm. why it's slow. Yeah. And that's why people, you know, <laughs> they want to be there not for a day or a week, but for a long time mm-hmm. to really work with the material. And yeah. I, I just want to say that Shakespeare died 399 years, 362 days ago. Is that about right? You are so... What are you, Googling while we're here? Uh, 399 years. Well, so he died in 1616. Well, wait. Oh, it was. It's this is the year of. So it's it's it's. Yeah. He's, he's been dead for. We have a fact checking intern. I know, but I thought I I heard. I, it Ian, was, it, was April twenty third. So the calendar year of celebrating the death anniversary, death anniversary, the quatrocentennial, started April twenty third, twenty sixteen, which was the four hundredth oh, anniversary of his death. But man. the celebration year lasts that count from that okay. point of the calendar to a year. That's wow. why I thought, and it that's was why we've be. landed in Lafayette because this is the. At least for me, this is my last stop on the yeah. the celebration. So, yeah. t- so tell us about the symposium that you're at now. So, yeah, what brought some, you here? Yeah, yeah. So, I'm part of a, a symposium called the Practical Humanities, Shakespeare and Race, and it's a group of scholars who've been thinking about race and racial difference in the history of, in Shakespeare's world, and then in our world, whether it's performing or audience reception, and uh, it's something that I got interested in because. When I think about why we need the humanities, we need the humanities to talk about these puzzles that we we don't yet know where we are on these things. And Shakespeare was writing at a time when things, the things that he saw and that were happening in his world were the beginnings um, of many parts of our own world. So exploration, colonization, uh, mass communication in the form of the printed book, science, um, international exchange, markets, all, you know, these things are happening. And here's this man who's in London as this epicenter. You're getting secular entertainment in the form of popular theater, professional theater, 
all these other bits of what we will eventually call the modern world are being slotted into place. And he's writing plays about race, which is another one of those building blocks. Mm -hmm. um, it's, it's a block that we haven't resolved. And racial injustice or inequity is something that you can see around or maybe talk about with the help of some of these plays. So that was one of the things that made me feel like this was a great place to finish in the year-long conversation. We've celebrated the, the reach of his work, the fact that the first folio you know, last year was seen by 530,000 people wow. across the country in 50 states and two territories. But I would say, you know, in, in terms of the practical humanities, how do we continue to puzzle through why we love, lead, follow, and hate each other, all of these things being human, and what are the possibilities for, um, you know, a, a yet-to-be-perfected world that, that is, a, is a real longing, in, including in the theater? Figuring out the puzzle of race is one of those places where we may not solve it, but it will be part of what makes us human to puzzle through that. Sure. You have a scholar, Ian Smith, who's a leader internationally in mm -hmm. this field. Yeah. He uh, has made fascinating discoveries about how people performed and indicated their racial identity on stage, uh, often using handkerchiefs. Yep. But that's that's a really important piece of the puzzle. And Ian has been thinking about these issues, uh, thinking about race, thinking about Shakespeare and theater and early modern culture for years. Now, Lafayette has some Shakespeare history to it. Francis March was a professor. You know more about than me, I bet. So, so friend, interesting yeah. you say that. Okay. Um, I, I woke up last night and um, couldn't go back to sleep right away. Okay. And so I went into the living room of our inn and they have the collected essays of Francis March. Former professor. I started to read them. Friend of the show. Namesake of March Elementary, where my kids went. Also... Early advocate for phonetic spelling. And the verb to march. I don't think that was him. Too far. Okay. Um, so... <laughs> <laughs> so he he was a philologist and okay. and he really believed that if you understand the origin and connections among words including their grammar and their etymology that mm -hmm. that's a the beginning of a systematic study of our language. Mm -hmm. So that actually became quite influential. Mm -hmm. We don't use his techniques today, but I think he was quite right to think that if you pay attention to the words themselves you'll learn things. Mm -hmm. Let's talk more about you. So what are your, besides VBB, do you, do you listen to other, other podcasts? I listen to Song Exploder. Okay, what's that? Tell us about that. Song Exploder is really great. Um, it's, they find an artist and they say, give us the stems of your, of your song, famous uh -huh. song. And so they'll play the drum track and the guitar track and the synth or sample track. And the artist will walk you through the different parts and mm -hmm. say, here's how it goes together. Oh, wow. And then they play it all. But it's I, I love that. It's like a master class. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where you get to see how it's built. You could do that with Shakespeare too. I would think so. I, I would love to know what the song exploder equivalent of Shakespeare is, because that would be a great podcast. Are are there Shakespeare podcasts? Are. I mean, are there Shakespeare and Beyond from the Folger Shakespeare Library? Yeah. Yeah. Uh -huh. Do you host? Uh I, I do. I do. <gasps> And we are on iTunes. We're on NPR one. Wow. We, yeah. We're not quite there. Yeah, well, I That's encourage you. Well, cool. but maybe this show will... Who knows? I know you guys are headed for... We have listeners from all corners of this part of campus. Yes, definitely. 
We also have uh, a very special listener in uh, oh, hi, the Netherlands. Peter. Hi, Peter. Now, when you were you you studied at Vassar, is that correct for your undergraduate? So, what was their college-based podcast like? <laughs> you know, there was a Vassar radio station. Um, we didn't have podcasts at that. Yeah, point, so nothing is what I'm hearing from that. Uh-huh. So maybe they need to pick up their game. And if hey, if Vassar wants to give us a call, they can friend, email us at variousbreadsandbutters at gmail.com. Friend of the show, past guest Rob Root is also Vassar grad. That is true. Mm-hmm. That so is I true. Think... There will be no Vassar bashing here. I insist. So now you're clearly a music fan. I am. So one of the questions we ask our guests on here, it's called the 10, 20, 30 question. We want to know the music you were listening to at 10 years old, mm-hmm. 20 years old, and Aww. 30 years old. Where were you at 10 years old? Gosh, at 10 years old, I was not listening to much music. Okay. Um, so that was not, you know, I mean, just wasn't playing records. I didn't, we, we didn't play records yeah, 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 yeah. or things like that. Uh, when I was 20, mm-hmm. I was listening to, I listened to XTC. I liked um, a band called Mission of Burma from Boston, a oh. kind of punk rock band. I liked Miles Davis and jazz a lot because okay. I'm a drummer. I listened to a lot of that. This is <laughs> a, band, a band called Trouble Funk came. Trouble Funk. To Vassar, and I was I heard them. They are they play go go music, which is one of the two important cultural you know, forms coming out of DC. But mm-hmm. go go music has this very particular beat. It is a DC thing. I I thought that was amazing, and that might have influenced my decision to go to DC after I graduated, wow. which I did. I had a non paying job at the Library of Congress, and. My first paying job, I was a telemarketer for the Folger Theater. So you might have called us. <laughs> Could have done. We may have not. We said the caller ID. We might not have answered. Mm. Sorry. <laughs> I, I think, I don't think there was caller ID when I was doing this. Oh, okay. You, you would have thought it was coffee. Yeah, I, that, exactly. And I'm not, uh, we're not interested. So, and when I was 30? Yeah. Gosh. What if I was said it was the same music? No, it, it's, it no, was you, not. You, that can you've, happen. You've had an evolution. It, 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 it was not. I'm, I'm surprised sure it's not more jazz. Oh, I was in re- uh, so I was in graduate school. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. So I wasn't. I was. I was not. I, I wasn't listening to a lot of music. I was playing music. I was listening to a lot of Johnny Cash. Okay. Because I was playing in a band, a country western band called Cabbage. Cabbage. Yeah. Okay, are there now YouTube clips of Cabbage no, somewhere there, there online? There are none. There are none. Not that you. Are know you of. saying that so that we don't look, or that because you know? No, I know. There's none. Okay. Um, <laughs> you, I did. I did. I did get it. into a band that's. That does have a YouTube following. Oh. It, it's called the Dong Doot Cowboys. Okay. And Dong Doot is Explain a form okay. of of popular music in Indonesia. And when I lived in Pittsburgh, a friend of mine was an ethnomusicologist who studied Dong Doot in Indonesia and could sing wow. in Indonesian. So he taught me the drum beat, which is very distinctive, and we started a band. And then the Dong Doot Cowboys would sometimes splice in Hank Williams into the middle <laughs> of, Seems, of these songs, as one does. As one does. Senior? Okay, good. <laughs> Got it. But, uh, good call. So <laughs> we, we videotaped ourselves for you know five uh, minutes doing our song, and then thousands of people in Indonesia wow. start watching this channel. So that was when I realized that digital media is really important. Yeah. Because I had, I had written, I think at that point, two books, and yeah. the, the 40 people who really read them carefully sure, had right, read yeah. those books. Uh-huh. But here was this thing we did in five minutes, and thousands of people were watching. So that was a really important discovery. <laughs> so I, w- I want to set that up as a possible title to the episode, Michael Whitmore, Huge in Indonesia. We'll put that on the list. Just, just yeah, put that on the list. That'll be one of the options. Well, we have uh, one of our many services is that an intern who's not here today is our playlist intern. Mm-hmm. Oh. He's going to make a playlist for the episode, which will be structured around your song preferences. Throw it on Spotify, oh. have people listen to it. Well, hey, here's a good Shakespeare song. Um, okay. 
Why so not? Radiohead did a song called Exit Music for a film, mm-hmm. which was the exit music from Romeo and Juliet. Okay. And it's a great song. All right. Really great song. Okay. It's 20 years since OK Computer. What a monumental year. 400 years since yeah. Shakespeare's death. Mm. 20 years since OK Computer. Man, things you happened You just don't get coincidences like that. That's really... Uh, it's, a, it's a stellar alignment. <laughs> it's yeah, a little the whole weird. cosmos. So, but if you think, you know, we, Prince and David Bowie died. That's right. S- sadly. Uh-huh. But if you think of 400 years from now, people playing Purple Rain... Yeah, or changes. That's the scope of Shakespeare's. Reach. That you're absolutely right. That is, and it, and it doesn't show signs of stopping anytime soon either. Not even ta- taming the sh- of the shrew. Taming huh. of the shrew. Train. Taming of the shrew. That's a yeah. that plays trouble. Min, yeah, Midsummer Night's Dream. I mean, I could go on. You're just you're just naming them. Symboling. <laughs> yeah, symboling. Yeah. yeah, that's the one. It really meanders, but that's, that's kind of what captivates me. Yeah, yeah. Uh, what do you want? What do you want to go go to next? Uh, I, we actually we have a quiz too. Okay, you were to be quizzed. Well, you. Well, this it really is, is a job interview, isn't it? Uh, we have a, a style of quiz called the real or not quiz. Mm. And so the guest is usually the one who has the best access to get the answer correct. So these will all be questions about, are these shows or films based on Shakespeare's work? Mm. Either say yes or no. Simon will go first because he's the most clueless. Yep. Then the interns will answer. Then you can answer. Mm-hmm. Okay. And, so, and we start with the easy, the gimme one. And I was amused by this when I looked online that on a list of, did you know that these movies were based on Shakespeare? The first one on the list was, uh, I don't know if they pronounce it Romeo X Juliet, mm-hmm. but it was like, did you know? That? So, <laughs> plus, Simon. it's that's the Baz Luhrmann film, Romeo plus Juliet. Oh, seemed, oh. that's it. It was, it was, it was a, not, right. not an X. It was a, yeah, so they must have just typed over. it wrong. Yeah. It was yeah. a, a font problem. Yeah, yeah. The, the website couldn't even do it right. Ugh. I was like, no wonder I never heard of it. So, Simon, yeah, Romeo plus Juliet. The, the internet doesn't know that you know this, but yes. is that a ch- based on Shakespeare or I'm not? just going to say yes to that, because that just seems so familiar to me. I don't know where I'm thinking of it from. What do we think, uh, Thomas and Ian? Sounds familiar. Sounds familiar. So are you saying yes? Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay, good. What do you say, Mike? I think so. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Good. So so now you understand the, the whole uh, conceit of the quiz? Yeah. The think learning I, curve I, has I, been has I, been escalated. I, I'm escal- scaled. I am accelerating up that learning curve. All right. There we go. Um, next, Strange Brew. Strange Brew. Mackenzie Brothers. Strange Brew. That is a yes. That's a big yes for me. And sorry, I also we had so many episodes, and yep. he still gives away. Mm-hmm. Uh, Thomas, Ian, do you think so? Well, wh- why did Simon say a big? Well, yes? I'm going to go with my answer before Simon said anything. Thanks, man. And say no. Okay, because that, that's, that's honest. I, that's what I would have. That's honest. Strange we brew. Appreciate do that. you guys know what strange brew is? I have no clue. Nope. Nope. Mike, what do we think? It's a classic. I'm going to go with the intern because he thought for a minute before he answered. Mm-hmm. The answer is yes. Yeah, so it's Bob and Doug McKenzie, the McKenzie brothers, Canadian. Rick Moranis. Rick yeah. Moranis and, and Dave Thomas, yes. Um, and it is uh, Hamlet. Yeah. They work at the Elsinore Brewery. Mm-hmm. Oh. It is. <laughs> it's a little on the nose. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's a very... Although I learned most of Hamlet from watching Strange Brew and finding out afterwards. Yes, that it that was, was actually... Oh, that's Hamlet. So yeah. I would definitely, when you have some time, yeah. watch some Strange yeah, Brew. Yeah, put it on my... All right, next one is The Lion King. The Lion King. You know, there's so many just just general themes through that that Shakespeare must have covered somewhere. So I'm going to say yes. What do we think in the studio? I'm pretty sure that's a yes. Ian? Right. Yeah, I'm going to go with general themes. Isn't everything a Shakespeare? Okay. If you want to say, well, you have to say what play it's based on if you're going to be that confident. Oh, oh I'm Hamlet. not. Hamlet. Okay, that's usually a good guess. What do we, what do we think, um, Mike? I agree. Hamlet. Hamlet. Ooh, ooh. Hamlet. Yeah. Okay, good. That's correct. Yeah. Way yeah. to go. Yes. All right. How about 10 Things I Hate About You? 
starring the late Heath Ledger and the always delightful Julia Stiles. Um, I am, Ten Things I Hate About You. E- yes. Hollywood blockbuster. I, I'm sure. Yes. Mm. What do we think, Thomas, Ian? Yes or no? I'm going with no. Yeah. Not entirely sure why. Okay. So, I mean, yeah, I'm going to go. Uh, I, I will give you a hint. There's a character named Bianca in it. Quite a, or, and her sister is quite a shrew. <laughs> what do we think, Mike? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, well, now I'm perplexed by by the fact that it's so obvious, but I think it is. Yeah, it definitely. And is. Simon, what what play do you think it's based on? Taming of the Shrew. Did you know that when you saw it? I did actually. Well, no, not not. I did not know it when I saw it. I didn't say, wait a second, this is Taming of the Shrew. Like I said, Laser Cats was King Lear. This is definitely, uh, yeah, one of those. Said, yeah, this is where Mike's like, I should have told him I had to be out of here. <laughs> yeah, come on, come on, guys. Okay, okay. All right, next, uh, Sharknado. Sharknado. That's definitely King Lear. I'm going to say yes. What do we think, studio? Uh, not Sharknado Room. 2, 3, yeah, 4, 5. This is just Sharknado, just the, original. the first one. No? I really wish mm-hmm. there was a, a Shakespeare reference somewhere in that movie, okay. but I'm going with a no. Okay. Nope. No, what do you think, uh, Mike? I, you know, that is a no. I, I think snakes on planes, maybe, but not Charlie. Oh, interesting. What would snakes on planes be? <laughs> so you <laughs> I didn't want to be asked that. Double, double toil. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's a no. That's a no. Okay, right, that's this, weird. There must have been some inspiration, though. I would assume so. Yeah, it's it's a very fertile film. There's just a lot of ideas there. A lot of a lot of big ideas. Uh, this next one's a tough one. Okay. Uh, Waterworld. Waterworld. The timeless theme. Kevin. Uh, Costner. Kevin Costner. Mm. Waterworld. Mm. That seems like... Surely it's one of the late plays. I would think so. That one that you mentioned that I'm Cymbeline. supposed to... Cymbeline. Um, I'm going to say no. What do, we, what do we think out there? I'm going to say yes. I think it's modeled on Pericles. Wouldn't that be great if I knew what that was? Yeah. Uh, is it? No. It's not a late play. Damn it. Pericles? Yeah. Is that a good one? Uh, use it. Use it. Definitely. Use it. Pericles. All right. How about uh, Scotland, PA? Scotland, PA. I've... Maura yeah. Tierney. Christopher Walken. Can you do a Christopher Walken imitation? I can, but I'm not going to do it on the radio. Um, Why not? That's terrible. Why? Um, <laughs> right. Nope. Don't do it. Um, I'm going to say uh, that's a that's a no for the impression I and no for the, the for the question. The allergy medication has overwhelmed my <laughs> mental capacity. Thomas Ian, what do we think? I'll go with Scott a no. PA. I'm going to go with a yes. Ooh, what do we think, Mike? Uh, yes. Macbeth, it is. Macbeth. It's a Macbeth. Oh, there aren't that many Macbeth-based movies, hmm. according to the internet. Mm-hmm. It's supposedly about making soup, right? <laughs> yes, <laughs> it's pretty good. Okay, so that is that the quiz then? Oh, uh, you're glad it's already over. Yes. What about from Kelly to Justin? From Kelly to Justin? No. Wait, <laughs> way, that's maybe Romeo and Juliet. I'll say yes. No, it's not. Everybody it's say not. no. Okay, everybody no. say no. Um, so that's the end of the quiz. But I will ask you a question. We ask all our guests. So. Out of these two days, you got to pick one. Which mm. do you prefer, Friday or Sunday? You Friday. only have the choice of preferring a Friday or a Sunday. And which do you prefer, Friday? Friday. Now, now, I, I assume you work a typical five. I mean, you work a lot, but you work a typical five day a week. You have the weekends no. up. Oh, you don't. Oh, no. so I, do I you, work at night. I work in the weekends. Okay. Uh, well, what, how about how about you know remembering back to your childhood when you went to school and stuff like that? Yeah. Was it still Friday? It was Friday. Yeah, I like Friday. But even though you were going to school that day and you were off on Sundays, what was it about Friday that you liked better than Sunday? Well, Sunday? I still like it about Friday. I often do not work on Friday nights mm-hmm. because I like to um, eat pizza and watch movies. Okay. Mm-hmm. Which what was the last movie you watched? From Kelly to Justin, probably. 
God, what was the last movie I watched? It's going to be Strange Brew next week. Next no, Friday. I think I think it was um, I think it was Rogue One. That's a, that was a good movie. Did you like that? Yeah, yeah. yeah I mean, I, I think the Star Wars movies, like the late plays, mm-hmm. are <laughs> about wandering and families that are reunited by chance and there secret, you go. secret clues and pirate <laughs> rescues. And, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So. Wonderful. And uh, no. there's, there's, you have follow up. Follow up. What do you think about black licorice? You fan of black for licorice? it completely. Really? Completely. You yeah. are in. You are I'm all in. We, all we, in. we find that our Friday lovers don't like black liquors as much as Sunday lovers. Yeah, you're an so, outlier. Well, we, we did collect data on this, and we did find that Friday lovers liked licorice better than Sunday lovers. I'm happy to be an outlier. We have, wow. No, Sunday lovers. Sunday, Sunday prefer lovers black prefer licorice black licorice Friday. Yeah. So, and we've had a good streak. People have confirmed our data. <laughs> um, but I think, I think we're good. Michael Whitmore, thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you so much for Thanks talking for to us by. for all this time. Thanks for coming to Lafayette. Yes. Real pleasure to be here. Thank it you. was a really interesting show. If uh, interested listeners want to listen to our entire library, they can do so at iTunes. They can go to... You're letting everybody in D.C. know this. They, yes. They Justice get, Roberts. We are available for download. Exactly. Or to just come through and watch us read books. Um, WJRH.org, front slash VBB. You can, have, you can listen to our library. Um, you can follow us on Twitter at some later date. You can follow us on Facebook. You can follow us on Spotify, Various Breads and Butters. You um, can email us. Email us at variousbreadsandbutters at gmail.com with your comments, questions, and concerns. Um, and your favorite Shakespeare plays. Uh, yes, email us with those, too. Maybe we'll read them. But I'm definitely going to try and pick up the Twelfth Night again. I'll tell you that much. Yep, me too. Okay. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get back to it. Good. I'm glad. Play on. Thank you. Thank you, Mike. Headphones off? Headphones yeah. off. Both a Henry the Fourth and Henry the Fifth. How could there not be? <laughs> Is there a Henry the Third? Yes. There's not a play Henry the Third. Oh, you mean a play? Yeah. We're talking... Oh, I thought you meant the people. Yeah. The... What do you mean? How could there not be? There's not just an infinite. Your answer would suggest that there has to be Henry the Sixth, Seventh, no. Eighth, Ninth. No, no, not necessarily. If 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 there is if there's a Henry the Fourth, then there must be Henry the Third. Right, but I said Henry the Fourth, and then I said Henry the Fifth, and you said there must be. It doesn't necessarily follow mm-hmm. that there's a Henry the Fifth. That is true. Henry the I'm going to agree with that. But what we're saying is that math there's goes. Henry. There's a specific numerical order. Yeah. Has anyone studied that? But that is basically our point: is that the numbers go in order. Yeah. And they go forward. Yeah, we, I think that's. We don't count one, two, reasonable. five, four. I think that's reasonable. That's the that's the gist of our point. I'm glad we uncovered that. It's going to go down in history. I think most of the points that we uncover, as with Trash Collector are things that are very well known. We just couldn't grasp it. Mm-hmm.